about it. We use energy in everything we do, in every aspect of our lives. very simple way of actually taking positive actions for the sake of uh, their own planet, their own uh, health, the well-being of their own families and the economy of their own family, then uh, I think it will be a win-win for everyone. I think more than ever we have realized as humanity that we are not any longer having a small impact on nature and the biodiversity in the world around us. You can say on one hand, of course, we're not an energy uh, company in the foundation, but as a big company and part of a big uh, uh, consumption role in the world when it comes to life at home, uh, we need to place ourselves in the forefront of the transition that um, uh, we are uh, needing in the world now. <laughs> Could be not only doing good for the world, but also doing good for the customer. We can help them to save money, save energy, and in the end, you know, they, they will be also very proud to share with their friends that they're actually contributing to the better planet. IKEA Clean Energy Services is about making clean energy available to anyone, anywhere, anytime. live broadcast Doing Business for the Planet, hosted by IKEA Australia. My name's Juanita Phillips and I'll be moderating today's discussion, which is looking at how government, business and industry can work together to lead the climate agenda in Australia. I begin by acknowledging the traditional owners of the land on which we meet today and pay my respects to Elders past and present. As we saw in the opening video, global companies like IKEA have already made the switch to renewable energy and are now challenging governments and other businesses to do the same. Today, more than ever, we recognise the importance of living within the means of our planet and we know that consumers are demanding this too. Our discussion today will focus on the role of renewable energy in our economic recovery and what our roles are to truly enact change and do business for the planet. Today, I'm joined by our four panellists. First, Jan Gardberg, who's the CEO and Chief Sustainability Officer of IKEA Australia. Jan brings over 30 years of international experience to the expanding IKEA business in Australia. Kate Washington, MP, Member for Port Stephens and New South Wales Shadow Minister for Environment and Heritage. Kate was elected to the Legislative Assembly as the Member for Port Stephens for the Labor Party at the 2015 state election. Andrew Peterson, the CEO of the Business Council for Sustainable Development Australia. BCSD Australia is the national peak body representing forward-thinking companies and organisations that are working towards the transition to a sustainable Australia. And Katerina Kamali, clean tech expert, venture capitalist and social entrepreneur. Katerina is a renewable energy expert who founded the UN award-winning Pollinate Energy. She's a leading voice in the development of renewable energy in Australia and India. 
Thank you all and welcome to each of our panellists. Well, first, let's tackle the elephant in the room. Traditionally, we're a country that's relied on carbon-intensive energy sources and it has been a huge contributor and continues to be to our national economy. Jan, how do we overcome that history and what's IKEA doing in this space? Yes, uh, um, when it comes to uh, renewable energy, we have had an uh, agenda set uh, some, some years back and uh, we love uh, to put 100% uh, in front of us because that really drives uh, change. So our ambition is that uh, by 2025, uh, we want to uh, have only use renewable energy for all of our operational units. That includes all across the planet and including here in, in, in Australia. Uh, already today we, we have solar panels on, uh, um, on the stores, on the, on the roofs, more than 22,000 solar panels. But uh, our ambitions goes also beyond our own operations. So right now I'm very excited because we have just recently uh, announced the launch of Solstråle, which means sunbeam. Uh, if you translate it from Swedish. Um, and that is a, a solar package uh, that we uh, are now offering to, uh, to anyone that is interested to, to take, uh, take that step. And in that journey, um, it's been important for us to realize that we need to find strong partnership uh, with others that are experts in the fields. And uh, by then, uh, kind of marrying our retailing experience, customer focus with solar gain in this case, uh, we are able to, to offer them a, a solar package uh, that is uh, really a true value for money and with some guarantees. Uh, and building on that one, another exciting thing that uh, it's uh, not so much talked about right now, but uh, in I would imagine that in a couple of days time, uh, we can finally announce that we are also going in with a microgrid in, uh, in, the, in Adelaide, in the Adelaide store. And again, that's another important uh, uh, example of how we cooperate because we came across a very fantastic company, Planet Arc. And they had an idea about not only uh, producing uh, renewable energy, sun energy on the rooftop, of, but actually to be able also to provide that to, to the community, the close community. So I think uh, these are a couple of examples of what's happening right now. And I'm, I'm very optimistic for the, for the future here in Australia. Uh, and by uh, actually opening up as we are doing uh, and to, to uh, take a firm handshake with, with partners, we can actually contribute where one plus one becomes actually three. All right, so there are clearly business opportunities there. Kate, I want to bring you in here because the priority for governments right now, of course, is the economic recovery after COVID. Um, what role can renewables play in that recovery and, and how can government harness those sort of opportunities that Jan's talking about? Well, um, thanks, Vanita. It's, it's There's a huge opportunity now coming off the back of COVID and, and, and so we are obviously in a massive economic crisis, but there is huge opportunity that comes with that. And I, th I think we've, we've not only got the learnings and a way of operating that has perhaps changed in our communities, a sense of, well, out, out of the pandemic, I see that there's been three real key um, gains, I suppose, that might help us tackle um, climate change and head towards a, 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 a greener future, where we've got, um, 
a sense of collective responsibility. We've got a communities realising that as a collective and as individuals, we can all make a difference and we can all make a change. Then we've got uh, an opportunity, because we've seen a coalition government listening to science, listening to experts and acting on it. And that gives us some hope. And then a third element that's really important to me, particularly as a representative from the Hunter, is the new appreciation for manufacturing and, um, and the opportunities that we've got to make things here and, and, the, and the jobs that come with that. Now, uh, in, coming from the Hunter, it just means the elephant in the room that you mentioned means that we live and breathe it every day. And just taking my kids to school this morning, I went past the largest user of electricity in the state, uh, which is an aluminium smelter. I went past the largest gas user in the country, uh, ammonium nitrate um, orica. And then, um, and then I head towards the largest coal port in the world. So we live and breathe this every day in the Hunter. We, we acknowledge it, we respect all the workers and the transition to a clean energy future is challenging and comes with enormous challenges, but it is everyone's responsibility. And the more that we can do as individuals, as you know, in the domestic offering and, the, and for residential um, opportunities, the more that we can make that move, and we are in Australia a lot, um, the more that we can make that move ourselves, um, it's, it's, it, that opportunity is there and then we, and government's role is to make those bigger shifts and to help make the transition where we need it for the large energy users to make sure we do not lose those jobs and that those jobs are real in the future as well. Okay, so for government to make those shifts, obviously public opinion does play a part. Um, Andrew, you can talk to us about that. What is the state of play in Australia at the moment, for example, uh, with solar energy? What's, how is public opinion changing around the use of renewables? Well, it, it is changed because the circumstances of its use have changed. And from a business perspective, if you look at the, the rationale for using alternative energy in this day and age, from a business uh, viewpoint, that cost has become so important in terms of its application on a large scale. So in, in relation to how it can be used, you're seeing that business is seeing it as an abundant resource. And not just because it's solar. Uh, it's because it can be scaled at very, very large levels in a country that has an enormous land mass. And that's one of the unique attributes of this particular country that we live in. The second is that the cost per unit of solar has come down enormously. So we saw, I think it was solar panels at about $100 per watt in 1976. And now we're talking at something like 23 cents per watt in 2020. Now that's, that's almost 99% decrease. So from a business perspective, you go where the money will flow. And the third is, and it picks up on the, the earlier point, is that you're seeing the community um, being willing to play and in this case, I'm talking about the willingness to play a role in relation to carbon reduction in Australia. Katerina, would you like to talk about that as well? I mean, for example, why does Australia have so much potential when it comes to the uptake of solar? Well, I think Andrew's quite right. Basically, what we've seen in Australia is an economic argument that makes a lot of sense to people in their home. 
for people to put solar in their home, it's pretty much the best investment they can make that's risk-free. You know, a two to five-year payback is exceptional. And that same logic you're seeing in business and in financing of renewable energy opportunities. And it's playing out, you know, 10 years ago, Australia was really low on the list of uptake of renewables. Last year, almost a quarter of Australia's electricity was from renewables. And we have more renewable panels or solar panels in Australia than we do people anymore. We have just absolutely, you know, come out of the blocks and we're now leading the world. Um, and it's brilliant because it's a resource that we have in abundance across our nation. We have, I think it's 10,000 times more energy that comes onto Australia's landmass than we need. One hour of energy is what we need to power up the whole of Australia for the whole year. So we've got a huge resource here. We've got a huge talent pool of students and professionals that can now enact that 23,000 jobs a year. And it makes financial sense for people in their home and in their businesses. So all the stars have started to align for solar in Australia. So if it does make so much financial sense, then what's stopping more people getting it? What are the challenges to the uptake? Look, I think, you know, we are all in a time of COVID and everybody's starting to take a look at their personal balance sheet and their business balance sheets. And one of the things that's come up is that a lot of solar panels are produced overseas and because our currency has reduced, there are relative cost disparities that have come up. So that's one element. There's also another element that we do have, you know, an inbuilt industry in this country that is used to a centralised electricity system that's connected to primarily coal-fired power stations. So we need to work with our regulators and with government to start to increase connectivity availability for large renewable energy generators and in our homes to increase the resilience of the grid so that we can have more solar in our homes and we can start to share it. Um, the opportunity that that presents, though, is huge. For me, in the venture capital industry, what we see now is just a huge set of innovative companies that are coming up with solutions to all of these problems that are making electricity much cleaner, much greener, much more exciting to use, that we can trade it, that we can share it, that we can connect our car to it, that we can connect our home to it. So it presents a huge opportunity set. And, and I talk to venture capitalists around the world and all of them in the clean tech sector say Australia is the place we want all of our companies to go because it has the right conditions for innovation. It's got the most spent on renewables per capita than any country. And it has the right propensity, the right market conditions to actually trial all of these, all of these great new products and then take them to the world. Yeah. But then, Kate, as you were saying, you know, we still have a lot of people dependent on coal-fired power generators. There's a lot of jobs involved. Um, what do you see as the biggest challenges in the transition to renewables? <laughs> There's a lot of them, um, but huge opportunities right now and, and, um, and things that we really want to harness. But uh, in addition to what Katerina was, Katerina was saying, it's, there's a real issue in terms of um, people's mindset still uh, and there's a need to debunk some myths around renewable energy. There's a real um, sense that they'll only survive if they're heavily subsidised. Um, whereas there's, and it, and it has largely come out of uh, a political bun fight that has happened in Australia and to everyone's misfortune, um, which has really weaponised climate change. And it's made, uh, it seem to be a political issue when it's not one, and it ought not to be one. It, I would dearly love not to have to talk about 
climate change and in, in, a, in a political realm because it, it, it should be, as we've seen with the, the um, response to a global pandemic, this is also a global crisis, one that we should be all working together based on science, based on expert opinion. Sadly, we haven't been there yet from government, so we are lacking in the policies and the targets that are necessary to really give certainty to industry that they need in terms to drive investment mm. as well. Um, Jan, that political bun fight that Kate's talking mm. about, it's peculiarly Australian and it's certainly been a very divisive debate over the past 10 years. So um, how do we get past that? Yeah, I would like to kind of build uh, on what has been already said, and it's coming from uh, the other side of the, the same coin. So if, if one is, uh, the, um, the, let's say, the, the shift and transformation to make more uh, clean energy available, I think also any change process uh, starts always with myself, and myself as an individual. And I think we can see the examples of how how fantastically and greatly the, that we, as a nation, responded to the COVID-19, where, where actually we were all standing up and, and changing our behaviors because it was for something, something good. And that would not have been possible if it wouldn't have been that I, myself, took a decision to, to fall in there and say, yes, this is important and I, I'm prepared to do this and that. So how do I, then I relate that back into... And it's, it's also to, about my energy consumption as an individual. There's a lot of things I can, steps I can take before. If I cannot right now afford to, for example, invest uh, $3,500 or $4,000 in, 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 in a solar system and with batteries, etc. and so on, I can actually take a conscious decision to look at how's my family's uh, energy usage. Uh, first step, of course, is... Uh, to really make sure that everything is LED. Uh, I go to a lot of different homes and home visits and still see halogens switched on and, uh, and, and all. And, and I think the change journey really starts also with me as an individual. And by working then with the big questions about uh, the infrastructure and, uh, and, and these parts uh, about generating mm. uh, uh, you know, renewable energy, I still, as an individual, can actually contribute to that by really looking at my, my way of life at home. And that goes for waste and uh, water, water usage, electricity usage, and, and how is my house kind of uh, as energy efficient as possible. So you can, with small means, still make a big difference in my own wallet and, and actually start to save money. And Jan, how do we compare with, say, Europe? Yeah. <laughs> I don't want to, uh, you know, sound negative. I think uh, we are definitely not, uh, we still have uh, room to improve, if I say like that. Uh, but uh, on the other hand, and, and which was already said, I believe that uh, in Australia, we, we have a, a possibility to take a pole position globally when it comes with uh, the development of, of renewable energy, if we just put our minds to it. And that means business, government, legislative bodies, NGOs and, and, uh, and consumers coming together and saying this is important. And uh, I have learned so much in, in my IKEA journey when we started to work with renewable uh, energies and where it is today is completely different than it was 10 or 15 years ago. Now it's actually, uh, you need smart people, you need high technology integrated to creating a smart uh, solutions and smart homes 
And that resonates with me that this is a potential also for, for the many people that uh, want to go and make a career with education and uh, innovation development. So, and then we have the fantastic sun uh, in our country that is shining there. And at least as a Scandinavian, as a Finn, you know, every day is a fantastic, <laughs> beautiful summer here. It doesn't matter what the weather is. Uh, and, and I think that, and, and it's just there. And of course, by putting then uh, uh, all these, um, you know, companies and uh, innovators and, 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 and all of that together, it can only be a success story in the end. So I'm, I'm, I'm very optimistic uh, about what lies ahead. There certainly seems to be a lot more discussion, <clears throat> excuse me, these days about renewables and things seem to be changing quite rapidly. Andrew, do you notice that in, in your line of work? Oh, absolutely. Um, and, and it's because it's become an economic narrative rather than necessarily an environmental one because the cost has come down so much, because the, the appetite of the consumer has been educated and far more willing to embrace, as, as Jan was saying, the personal action that can be taken. And it doesn't come at such a significant cost. Uh, if we learnt anything out of COVID, it is that the willingness of not just Australians, but uh, in fact the entire planet, was to take personal action which was aligned with others to see the eradication where possible, as quickly as possible, <coughs> of the virus. So that tells us that there is a like-minded attitude amongst civil society to see change happen and effectively and as quickly as humanly possible. We apply that to climate change, we could do exactly the same thing. So with that, though, we need signals. We need, we need government to give signals around long-term future of opportunity for business to invest in the bigger chunk of activity that needs to occur, not just for households, but certainly for industry. Kate, I can see you nodding there. Would you like to jump in there? Well, I can't help but think there's also been a shift in uh, the way that we are thinking about um, the need to act on climate change in Australia, particularly on the back of the bushfire season and the lengthy and horrific drought as well. So I think that that has, uh, we've had you know, the drought, bushfires, global pandemic. We are <laughs> a nation that is is wanting to do so much more than we are uh, and the opportunities are right, right now to, to, seize, to, to be seized and particularly to recover from the economy, um, the impacts on the economy now. If we're going to be investing in the future and investing in jobs, we need to make sure that they are sustainable jobs for the future. Mm. What sort of signals do you think government needs to send then? Oh, um, <laughs> I could say many things. Um, <laughs> just a, a policy would be good. Uh, and, and some targets, some genuine targets. I mean, we, we're, we're le consumers are leading the way at the moment. And, and from, the, from the ground up, people are acting in a way that is environmentally responsible in the absence of leadership from government at the moment. So there is... But there needs to be some industry certainty. There needs to be policy that will help drive the investment so that people, so that businesses know, and they need support as well mm. to make some of the large shifts that are needed to move away from the reliance on the coal-fired power stations. Yeah. <laughs> We did uh, a, um, a study with Globescan, uh, where more than 30,000 people uh, were participating around the, the globe. So we did that within IKEA to understand a little bit where, where are we sitting with the climate change uh, agenda. And then the results for Australia, 
uh, was that 79% of Australians believe really that human uh, behaviors and interactions is actually a part, a big cause of, of, of the change of, of the climate. But the other figure was that kind of struck me was that it was 44% that said, we would love to do uh, something, but I don't uh, really know how, how to do it. So I think that there is something in there also that maybe it's about uh, uh, the pedagogics, uh, I think with the whole climate change uh, question, that sometimes it can become maybe a little bit too technical and, and hard to understand. And I cannot place myself as an individual into that agenda. But again, then we as a company have to do our best to uh, inspire and, and enable people to understand. And then it's coming back to what we talked about before, that it's actually an economical benefit. And, and like us as a company, we have only five strategies and one of them is our sustainability strategy, mm -hmm. people and planet positive. And it's up there together with our finance strategy because we see that we will do better business by having that on the, on the, on the forefront. Mm -hmm. But then I can bring it down to me as an individual, Jan and my family. If I think and act in the same way as a big corporation, I actually see the benefits also, also there. And I think that's the thing to kind of bridge it from this global to down to the community level to my individual kind of living situation. And I think that, that will definitely also support uh, the, the agenda going forward. Katarina, do you notice that in your line of work that this is a movement that is largely being driven by individuals and communities? Yeah, I think it absolutely is. And I think because, you know, as we've talked about, we've been on the front line of what climate change means here in Australia in the last year. You know, people feel it the way we're feeling the pandemic. We felt climate change for the first time for many people very viscerally. And that has spurred so much action. And I think what we what is exciting about that and, and, you know, similarly what we've seen through COVID is that if you take one of these awful events, in, in the case of the fires, we could call it a green swan event. And then you actually transform the economy, not just to say, let's transition away, but let's have a revolution away from, you know, we're really good at, at manufacturing in Australia. We're really good at, at supplying, as you suggested earlier, some fantastic energy sources for aluminium and for you know, a lot of base materials that we need. How about we just transition all of those skills from the coal generation that we had to some of the renewable generation that we had and start to lead the world and supply the rest of the world with our electricity through hydrogen. You know, we have a huge potential on our doorstep in Asia to start to use those same skills to supply the world with energy that is green. And I think now that people have felt the effects of climate change, they're even more motivated to say, actually, I want to be a part of that transition and how can I do it in my home, but also how can I do it in my business and in politics and in government? Yeah. I mean, you're, you're all, you all seem to be saying the same thing. We're at a particular moment in our history. We're coming out of drought and bushfire, a global pandemic. It seems that there is a moment in history where there's an opportunity to, you know, do some good and to make some changes. So before we go on to the Q&A from the audience, I just want to give each of you an opportunity to really, I guess, look into the future a little bit and uh, say where we could go from here with the opportunities we've been given. Jan, you can kick us off. <laughs> <laughs> I think, the, I think that uh, the, the movement and uh, call it transformation or uh, renewable energy revolution, I think that's going to come in places where we maybe 
don't sit and expect that it should happen. I think it's going to come on community levels where people are going to actually come together and decide this is important for my neighborhood and this is how how we would like to uh, like it to develop for the future. I, I, uh, uh, and I think also that right now with the COVID-19 situation, people have been spending more time than ever at home. And I think and I hope also that uh, those existential questions get up onto to the agenda. I, I see that that's going to happen. And that means that uh, I as an individual can start to reflect on how is my life today and, and my life situation, what do I do every day and how would I like it to kind of continue post-COVID-19. Uh, and I think we're going to see that happening into uh, uh, you know, communities that's going to come together and decide that this is important. And that's the space that I would like us as IKEA to take a more active role into, into the community where we are. Uh, we should, uh, because we share the same agenda with all the people that want to do something good that is not only good for the planet but also for the wallet. Uh, and, and I think we can play uh, as a catalyst in, into this. So that, that's what I believe. Kate, in your part of the world, how do you see things playing out in the future? Uh, we've, got, we've got to end the divisiveness. It, it, that doesn't help anybody. It doesn't help. <laughs> doesn't help our community and it doesn't help the nation. We need to, I mean, we have to, we've, the hunter is built on a bedrock of, of coal essentially, literally, and, and our economy is built on that. Um, to, to make this shift, we need um, real levers of um, government to actually help make that transition because we cannot have um, the thousands and thousands and thousands of people that work in the coal mines, work in the power stations, work in the, in the heavy manufacturing that rely on coal-fired power. We cannot have them without jobs. We cannot have them fearing the loss of their jobs. That, that, that's, that's the role of government is to provide the, um, the opportunity for the transition to, um, to, um, away from fossil fuels and that, they, that requires significant um, investment and support, but it can happen. And there's huge opportunities for um, green steel, green aluminium, green ammonium nitrate based on a hydrogen economy that will need that. And we need to start viewing the economy perhaps as more, as we've dealt with in the pandemic, as a, as a bit more of a, a community collective response, that we all have a responsibility to ensure these, the economy and the people have jobs and the economy um, picks up and, and takes the opportunity that is presenting itself right now in a positive direction. Rather than investing in more uh, fossil fuel projects, we, you know, I think that that would be a backward step. The government needs to be looking towards what it need, what it could be investing in to secure sustainable jobs for the future. Andrew, how do we keep sustainability on the agenda coming out of this period? It's all about mindset. Um, no, and you asked the question earlier about Australia's um, response to climate change. No country at this present point in time is doing enough in relation to climate change. That is a matter of fact. But then when, let's look at what COVID brought us as a, as a species for that matter. No country was able to respond to COVID alone. And for that matter, no country was able to uh, be able to ignore the fact that it had a material 
visceral impact upon our society and an incredible tangible impact upon our economies. So what we learnt out of this, I think, is, is incredibly instructive, which is that guided by the best available science that we have, we set an ambition as a country. In fact, every country set its ambition, whether it was to suppress, whether it was to contain. There was a set guidance, a, a roadmap by which it was going to get out of this problem. And there was important structural change that was undertaken by government, job keeper, job seeker, um, investment in small business that was put in place by government as important accelerators of protecting business going forward. But then what was fascinating was to see the individual take their own personal response to it, whether it was remote working, whether it was isolating, or whether it was physical distancing. So we know that uh, as a species, we can both be individual, but as a collective response, ensure that we can, where necessary, um, ensure real change. So it has to be leading change together. And in the context of climate change, for the individual, not just the issue of energy efficiency, and you were talking about households earlier, but in relation to solar and renewables for that matter, it will, if embraced by the Australian people and accelerated by government, really see this country get to that net zero position that we want to see by no later than 2050. Katarina, would you agree this is a turning point, potentially? Absolutely. I mean, I think we are in, in heated agreement here, but I think the reason that it is a turning point is, as I said before, because just like the pandemic, you know, we've been on the edge of, of, of a disaster, you know, or not even on the edge, you know, there's been so much tragedy in Australia in this last moment, and that has ignited a new a new vision, I think, for people personally. And then following that, having COVID, and I think, you know, a lot of people were at peak busy in their lives, you know, we were just overwhelmed. We didn't, we felt it was all too hard, but we've had a breath. We've been able to sort of exhale and say, what's the most important thing for my personal life? And how do I want to set my sails differently? And I think if we can take that mentality from our homes, as you were suggesting, Jan, but then to our industry and to our work and to the way that we're instructing and encouraging government, then we'll see a revolution now that we've had a moment to think about it. Okay, inspiring words. We do have some questions coming in from the audience. People have been listening. Thank you for sending them in. Uh, this one's fairly practical. I'm not sure who's going, to, who's going to be able to answer it. How do we encourage innovation in the recycling of solar panels with so many now at the end of their life and mostly destined for landfill? Who'd like to take that? Yeah. To that. So there's actually quite a few innovative companies now that are looking at how to take those core materials, um, particularly out of solar panels, but also out of batteries and reuse them. Um, so there's already, and it's, I mean, this is, again, where Australia is, has this unique opportunity. We're pretty good at being versatile and reusing the, the things that we already have, and we're a great market to test those things. So we have, you know, I can think of, you know, a, a few very innovative companies already in Australia that are saying, how do we take end-of-use batteries and end-of-use solar and repurpose them? How do we reconfigure them um, for different usages for um for vehicle, taking them from vehicles to home and back and forth. So there's already some recycling opportunities going on there, but we do need more innovation in there and more support for that. Okay. Andrew, I've got a question here for you. I've seen that many businesses have set targets to become more climate positive in their operations. Many of these businesses are looking at 2025 to 2030 until they're able to meet those commitments. 
Do you think businesses are moving fast enough on climate change? No, absolutely not. Um, and, but that, that is true of both communities, countries and companies for that matter. Um, but what, what's fascinating is that the driver of that change, and I go back to my comment about mindset, has been backed up by investor interest in what companies are doing, uh, reg regulatory concern in relation to the, the assets that a lot of companies have that may be um, actually uh, susceptible to climate risk going forward. And for that matter, forward-thinking companies that, uh, and I would include a number of Australian companies in this um, comment, that are looking at the way forward. So in other words, there's a business model to be had out of this challenge, not that there's a risk attached to addressing climate change. There is going to be a way forward. And so the, the opportunity for business is to identify what that business model looks like, not to abandon the notion that we cannot uh, find a way forward. And, um, and with that, you, you see the work of the World Business Council for Sustainable Development. You see the work of um, United Nations Global Compact. You see so many organisations that are helping in an accelerated way companies build that capacity and that willingness to undertake the change necessary. What's needed then is effective policy that's long-term that says you do that and you will be rewarded in a society that values what you've done. Jan, this is for you. What is IKEA doing in terms of influencing its supply chain in regards to renewables? Yes, uh, very good question because uh, as a, a big retailer, we're one of the few ones that actually we own the, the design of every, every item, every product. Uh, so actually the whole thinking about uh, more sustainable uh, supply chain and circularity starts already at the idea stage. Um, so we, uh, we work with a kind of a scorecard system. So any product that's, produ that's going to be produced has to live up to certain criteria. So that means the, what type of materials do we put in? Uh, we already designed from the beginning the <clears throat> end of life of the product. So it's possible to see that how will it actually be, be coming back into a circular economy? <clears throat> so that's an advantage that we have, of course, that we, we cannot. But th with that comes then the responsibility to see to that mm -hmm. uh, it's manufactured in the, in the right uh, conditions and uh, also mm -hmm. usage of renewable energy, how we're doing investments into uh, uh, responsibly managed uh, forests because we do a lot of uh, uh, usage of, of wood. And then, of course, it comes to the whole transportation part. And that is even including now when we see the big uptake on uh, online business, where our business right now has uh, gone up to almost 25% of the business we're doing is online. And we have here an, an agenda also by 2025. We want to have all home deliveries done <coughs> globally and also here in Australia by electrical vehicles. So we, we try to look at it from the, from the totality of this. Uh, then we are uh, uh, two different parties that's working in, in IKEA. So we have the, the owners of the range and the supply chain set up, and then we have the retail part. But we are working together. And um, when we are making decisions and say, is this a good business that we're going to go for? We check it from, from uh, the product and the design until it ends up to your home. And what is then the journey with the product when it's end of use uh, and so on. And therefore we introduced also now here in Australia 
last year uh, a buyback service because we recognize that many of our solutions and products have a lifetime that is much longer than maybe you have you want to change mm. but there's actually a, a possibility then for somebody else to actually adopt that furniture solution and uh, and bring it uh, forward for another 10 years so okay thanks Jan um, another question here I'd love to ask the panelists what are the priority actions that would make large-scale investment in renewable energy a reality in this country um, Kate would you like to kick us off on that well I think we've we've <laughs> we've been speaking speaking about that, that largely in terms of um, creating that um, as Andrew described it, the road map forward. Like we, the, we need um, targets we, in renewable energy. We need policy that sets the framework that then industry can um, understand and see clearly what its reward will be for its change. I mean, largely the reward will come in in, in any event, but. Um, there needs to be certainty in the market and that's what's missing at the moment because there is very little coming from the government in terms of that leadership. And it's, 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 at, it's at a point where it's desperately needed. You need big public policy. Indeed. Yeah. Okay. Given everything that's happening with the economy, I feel like people are prioritising price over sustainability. How do we make sure sustainability doesn't fall off the agenda? And Jan, I think you're best placed to answer that because I guess, uh, you know, IKEA's original business mm. model was people love it because <coughs> it's, it's affordable and it's stylish, but it also means it has been disposable as well. So, so how do you make sure sustainability, you know, gets up there with uh, affordability? Mm. And it's, of course, sustainability is a, is a big word. So uh, we are working with it really within, uh, within IKEA in three big blocks. Uh, the first one is a more healthy and sustainable life at home. The other one is around the circularity that I previously talked about, the end of life and how we can uh, uh, take waste and see that as a resource that's going back in, into the supply chain. And the other one is uh, fair and inclusive. But if I stay in the first one, which is a more sustainable and healthy life at home, it, it's really here about giving the accessibility uh, so it's, I'm talking about affordability. Mm -hmm. And again, it has been proven many times over and over, uh, at least for us, that when we think of a sustainable, more sustainable solution, how we pick the materials and how we construct it, uh, being obsessed not to create any waste mm -hmm. in the production process and so on, you actually get a high qualitative product that is actually affordable and accessible for the many people. Um, so, uh, so I think that is to keep, we need to take the accountability responsibility that we continue to keep our range affordable and accessible mm -hmm. for the many people. Um, and then uh, we have to, where all the fingers point at us, um, is, is really about our own operations. Mm -hmm. So I just mentioned, for example, the, the, the pilot with the, with the microgrid, etc. I think that's how we can be, um, hopefully be inspiring other businesses also to say that, you know, this is, we are not doing this uh, just because it's, uh, you know, good to do, but it's actually both good business and, and it's the right thing to do. So I think that's the best way to keep the, it up on front of the agenda is, of course, to, uh, uh, I want to involve uh, myself and uh, the, the rest of my organization 
into that community conversation. And that's again to hopefully can be a part of start a small revolution <laughs> for, the, for the future. <laughs> um, Katarina, I've got a question for you here. Um, during such uncertain economic times, and I guess also due to the uncertain public policy we've been talking about, how can businesses trust that an investment in renewable energy is the right thing to do? Well, I think it comes back to basic business sense and it, it goes to financing renewables as well. You know, we are building a new electricity system and, you know, never again will a, a coal-fired power station, in my view as a financier, get financed in Australia because the long-term risks of that are just too high and the costs are just too high. So we've actually turned a point sort of in... It turned a corner in finance, I would say, between five and ten years ago, that already renewables is the right choice to make financially. That's it. And in business terms, it's, it's very similar. For most businesses now, you can take a proportion of your, your energy and it is cheaper for you if you have the roof space to have solar or to look at different power purchase agreements to get access to green energy just the same way as it is cheaper in the home. So it really just makes logical business sense at all of those three levels of our, of our life and the ways that we consume energy. Okay. Andrew, here's a related question to that. Uh, new clean technologies can have long development timeframes with limited access to early investment. How can we better support new clean technologies in what Australia? A great question. <laughs> Talk about a Dorothy Dixer if ever there was one. Um, it's interesting because there's so much technology that is shovel-ready at the moment. Um, I, f I forget the report, but there was many years ago a statement that we could address global climate change with the available technology right now. We wouldn't have to invent necessarily anything right away. In terms of going forward, though, there are bigger challenges. And in terms of the innovation, you've got, uh, again, I go back to my mindset comment, that in at least in Australia, there is a challenge for business to see the innovation aspect as probably the most important aspect about creating your business model, rather than necessarily the product being brought to market and making money from it. Uh, whereas I think we see a very different mindset in Asia, particularly China, and even in the European Union, and certainly in, in the high-tech um, corridor of, of Silicon Valley, where innovation itself creates new value. And it, m the mindset then for Australian business, probably more so than government, is to understand that innovation is a value creator rather than just something to keeping up with your competitor. So how do you do that? Obviously, um, incentives in relation to um, uh, R&D tax breaks are one mechanism. But again, I think it becomes um, almost uh, an educative role that our universities and our vocational education programs really have to instill as part of the thinking, the dynamic thinking that we have to bring to the business leadership in Australia around how you value innovation going forward. You want to jump in there, Katarina? To that, I think what you're saying is absolutely right, Andrew. I mean, we already know that with, you know, an, a land area the size of Spain covered in solar, we could power the whole world. You know, we have the technology right now and it's very affordable. What our challenge, our innovation challenge now is how do we use the great technology we have, but then also innovate around the other areas of the economy that we need to decarbonise, which are more difficult. You know, how do we look at transport? How do we look at agriculture? 
and we've got more time. You know, we've got, because we have such a great set of technologies already available that are already affordable, we can implement those while we are innovating on those more difficult sectors of the economy that need more time, that require more transition for our workforce. Um, so we do have the time to do that if we implement the great technology that we already have. We are almost out of time, but there's one question that uh, we've been asked, and I want to put this to all of you, if we could just be quite quick about it. If there is something we could do differently in a post-COVID world, what is it? Jan, how about you? Um, Sorry to put you on may, the spot there. Uh, if there's anything, that I'm coming back to individual. Uh, I wish that every uh, person make one change that they decide, like a New Year resolution, but really to promise to keep it, <laughs> that will actually uh, take a small step forward when it comes to uh, a better, uh, smarter energy use in my home. Okay, individual responsibility mm -hmm. there. Yeah, Kate, how about you? One thing you could, we could do differently. I would just ask everybody to think about um, their responsibilities to each other to their children and to their grandchildren and act in accordance with those responsibilities because we, we, that's, it's an enormous, um, we, we've done um, enormous things to the, to the planet that we live on now and we need to all collectively take our sense of responsibility that we've, that we've all gained and, um, and harnessed so well during the pandemic and take that with us now and act with that sense of responsibility in terms of making the decisions, what we could all do at our homes, in our businesses, in our roles as politicians, as parents, to make our uh, planet survive. Great answer. Thanks, Kate. Andrew, if there's something we could do differently. I'm going to cheat and um, use both of those, um, <laughs> which is um, an exercise in explain to those who are uncertain as to why we need to do something about climate change, why you've done what you've done. So Jan makes the comment that it is personal action. You're making the comment, Kate, that we need to see systemic change. We need to see uh, and explain to communities why we need to change. I think that for this, you need to explain as the individual why you've changed, because that is very powerful for other people to say, so you're no different to me when it comes to circumstance. So why did you put solar panels on your roof? And what was that like? How, how difficult was it? How easy was it? What have you learnt as a result of doing it? And with that, and we've done this with COVID, we've all shared how it's been living life under isolation. So in the same way, we can share how we can affect change by explaining how we have changed. Katerina, you get to wrap up for us. If one thing could change... If one thing could change, it would be the narrative, the story that we're telling ourselves and the story that we want to tell our grandchildren. I think we need to say, we've been on the front line of climate change, we felt it. And then what did we do? We created a revolution in our homes and in our businesses and our governments. And until we tell that story and start to believe it and start to see the benefits of that, it's very hard to make it a reality because we need to tell those stories so that we're brave 
we're brave in our decisions. We need, you know, 10,000 clean tech entrepreneurs a year. You know, to take that step, you have to be brave. We have to be entrepreneurs in our own households and pioneers of, of green technology in our own households. And that starts with changing the narrative, changing the story we tell ourselves about the future. They were all great answers. That's a great note to finish on. Thank you so much for being here today. Uh, it's been a fascinating discussion at a very important time in our history. I think we can all acknowledge there is so much opportunity in a post-COVID world with sustainability helping us on the road to recovery. It's good to see so many people from different backgrounds uniting today with a strong view to prioritise a renewable future. Thank you to all of our fantastic panellists for their insights and to you, our audience, for your questions. Thank you for tuning in to Doing Business for the Planet, a discussion hosted by IKEA Australia. <laughs>